extremely blessed to have Pastor Jonathan Vasquez and Pastor Sean Garnett from North Carolina with us tonight. Let's give them a round of applause. I've got my good friend, Brother Zach Smith, the Mississippi District Youth Secretary with us as well. He's going to help us moderate this. And um, we're going to talk just a little bit. I want, I want Pastor V and Brother Sean Garnett to uh, kind of give their testimony and, and also how they became ministers. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer. I'm probably going to have about five questions here, and then I'm going to let Brother Zach um, interject what he wants. And after that, we'll open the floor for any, anything you guys want to ask these, these great men of God. So why don't we enter in with prayer? I, I like to pray about everything we do. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and grace. God, we pray that everything that is spoken tonight, everything that is done tonight be according to the will of the Lord, not the will of man. Guide us and direct us tonight, God. Help us to grow, God. Iron sharpeneth iron. Help us to become better tonight in the name of Jesus. Give us direction. Give us guidance. Give us wisdom in the name of Jesus. God, give us clarity and understanding. God, we want to do your will. We're here to do your will, God. We're here to impact your kingdom. And we pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first question, I'm going to start with Pastor V. What was your process of becoming a minister? How did you become a minister? Well, for me, it was something I knew from the time I was a little boy that it was what I was supposed to do. Um, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. Um, he, my dad speaks several languages and primarily Spanish. And so I don't, do they have migrant camps here? In Indiana, they had migrant camps where the uh, Mexicans would come up. The, the, praise the Lord. The Mexican, the Mexicans would come up and they would work in the fields for the summer and then they would travel south. And so every night of the week, we were at a migrant camp having church. Uh, problem, it was in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. So I never understood any of it, but we were in church every night. My dad pastored. And so I knew, I knew, I can't really, it's hard for me to tell you a time when I knew I was called. Um, I can tell you, I could tell you where I knew I was called to evangelize, but I always knew I was called to preach. And, and it, it came in those services, um, being taught as a kid, you know, we just, we went, most of my youth were in church where I didn't speak the language. They sang Spanish songs. I didn't know what the songs were preached in Spanish. I didn't know what they were saying, but I knew the Holy ghost. And so for, from that, it was always, I was always involved in the ministry, um, until my dad backslid when I was about, about 10 years old. Um, it wasn't just going to church. We took up the offering. We vacuumed the floors. We put out the songbooks. We did, you guys don't know what songbooks are. It's like, it's like the projection, except you hold it in your hand. Um, yeah, it's the LED wall. Yeah, I'm in a, anyway. Does that answer your question? Yeah, Brother, Brother Garnett, what was the process of becoming, what was your process of becoming a uh, minister? My process, I had a, my great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, were all pastors. So I felt the call to the ministry when I was around 16. And I didn't accept the call until I was 20, 22. And when I was 22, I preached my first sermon in a home mission church that my stepfather had established after my father had passed away. And it was in a 14 by 70 trailer. I don't know what y'all call them in Mississippi, but it was a trailer, a mobile home, whatever you want to call it. We had gutted it and made it a small sanctuary. And there was about seven people in attendance that night. And, um, and so my first sermon, I sung every song I knew to sing. I preached everything from Genesis to Revelation. And when I sat down, I had time myself and I had preached, sung everything I knew. And I had been up on the stage for seven minutes and 36 seconds. I knew then I probably had missed my calling. I was kind of unsure, but my mom thought it was the greatest thing. Like all of our moms, they think we do the best ever. But um, 
the first thing that, that I actually, after I felt my call to the ministry, my pastor gave me a set of keys to a church van. And he said, your first ministry is going to be to build a teenage class. I want you to teach the teenagers. And I said, well, that's great. I'm honored that I get to teach the teenagers. The only problem is uh, we don't have any teenagers. He said, here, here's a set of keys to a church van. Go find them. And so Beth and I would knock doors, and we finally built us a teenage class, something that we could teach. And then from there, we felt the call to the ministry to evangelize, and we evangelized four years full-time traveling the country with a trailer. And then in 2000, I felt the call to go home and take the church that I was raised in. And we've been there 23 years. So it's definitely been a process. Amen. Um, Pastor, you talked a little bit. You knew you were called to preach most of your life. How did you know you were called to preach? It was a burden. You know, I knew, I just, I felt like I had to do it. Um, I felt a responsibility. I didn't feel like church was just some place for me to show up and worship, for me to show up and enjoy the music. I always felt responsible for the service. Um, I felt like it was part of my job, even though I didn't know what they were singing or what they were saying or what was going on, but I felt like it was part of my job. I didn't know the words to the songs, but I knew I had to worship. And so I worshiped without knowing the words. For all I know, they were, I don't know what they were singing, but uh, I've learned a few of the words over the years. Um, but it was a responsibility. It wasn't that I was just going to church. I felt a responsibility to make church happen. Right. And, and that responsibility, that burden, is something that I, I don't know that I ever remember a time I didn't feel it. That's, that's similar to how I was. I always felt a call to ministry, but I thought it was music ministry only. I knew uh, that wasn't mine. <laughs> I, thought, I honestly thought it was just music ministry. And then uh, one time at the age of 12 right here at this altar, somebody prophesied to me, you're called to preach the gospel. I fought it and fought it because I was too shy. I'm still shy, by the way. If I ignore you, it's, it's, it's just my shyness creeping out again. Um, but anyways, this is not about me, but I, I, I kind of relate to that, always feeling that burden. Brother, Brother Zach, you want to say something? Um, honestly, that, that, was, that was the same way for me, and I've, I, I struggled with that uh, for a long time because you heard all the stories about the people that they can take you to the time and the moment that they were called, and so it made me question yeah. uh, whether, whether my calling was real because it's just, it was just always what I was going to do. Not, not necessarily preach or pastor, but I just, I, I knew God had something for me, and that's what I wanted more than I wanted anything else. Um, Brother uh, Garnett mentioned it a minute, but what, what was kind of the first, first, and I know you say you grew up doing it, but what was kind of the first task you remember when other people said, okay, where the V is going to be a minister? What was kind of the first task that you were given or ministry opportunity? Um, I was, we used to have a Tuesday night Bible study and a Thursday night youth service. And so on Thursday night, my pastor asked me to, to speak for a few minutes. And, uh, and so I did. And uh, it, you know, it, it, it got in my blood. Um, my first one might be my best one. It's been downhill ever since. Um, but, uh, but, you know, he asked me, he asked me to do that. And I don't know, I guess he just saw something. I guess he knew that, that I felt like I needed to do something. Um, even, even when I wasn't necessarily doing right, he, he saw something. And, and so he gave me an opportunity. The church I grew up in, it was not really a revival church. We only had people get baptized or the Holy Ghost at camp meeting uh, for the most part. Um, but the one thing that pastor always did was give people opportunity. If you had a ministry, he'd give you a chance to do something. And so that was, he just gave me a chance. Yeah. And you had said that you grew up being a part of the service and making the service happen. And, and uh, Brother Garnett said that his first thing was he's given, given the keys to a van. Yeah. I wanted to kind of say that it seems like um, sometimes we get focused on the call to preach when really any call to ministry is a call to work. Exactly. 
you gotta, we gotta work and, and preaching is, is, a, is it's, it's amazing. And it's, you know, God uses that. And the Bible even calls it the foolishness of preaching, but God will use whoever will work. Exactly right. I think, I think every minister is a minister in a different area before they're a preacher. Um, I, I know as a youth leader, as a youth pastor, I'm not looking for a young person that's just sitting on the pew and saying, well, they're going to be a minister one of these days. They're going to be a preacher. I'm going to find somebody that lingers in the altar, you know, somebody that's helping pray people through, somebody that's willing to sweep the floor, vacuum, mow the, mow the yard, whatever you ask them to do, to do ministry. That's who I'm looking for. Um, and I'm sure these men of God would say the very same thing. Brother Garnett, um, would you tell us how did you know that you were called to preach? Uh, it goes back to uh, Pastor Vasca saying it was a, it was a burden. Um, being raised in a pastor's home, you see the both sides of it. You see the handshakes, the smiles, the um, folks telling your father or grandfather how great a message they preached. But then you also see the stabs in the back. Yeah. And um, it had to be a burden for me because raising a pastor's home, I'm not one of these um, ministers that say, man, I just can't hardly wait to preach. It was when I felt the call of ministry, it was a burden that propelled me to preach. But I knew that I was walking in something that, that I had to keep praying because one day I'd be hurt. One day folks that you were close to or folks that you had even won would turn and walk away. And when ministry becomes a job, it's really not ministry anymore. If, if somebody out of your youth group can walk away and it doesn't wrench you in the heart, then you don't have a burden. Right. If I know they might have messed up and I know they might have done things and I know you probably were thinking one day they'll get caught, but whatever they've done or ever how bad it was or it's just to see them walk away. If you can see them walk away and say, just shake your hands of them, it's not a burden anymore. And um and so when folks walk away it hurts and but I but it's it is a burden. And you know, I'm supposed to be answering the questions and not asking the questions but in 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 this group of young people tonight you don't have to raise your hands but there are some of you that feel the call of ministry you don't have, don't you don't have to raise your hands you know but you're questioning what you're being called into and the reason you're questioning what you've been called into is because you feel like the only ministry that there is is the one behind this pulpit and it's already filled by a great man. Right. And it will be filled for years to come by a great man. Right. And so you're like, well, what, why am I feel like I'm being called? Well, you, you need to pray and ask for more of a defining calling. What, what is God calling you into? Yes. You know the number one reason? I read a statistic the other day. Now, this is not us. This is not apostolics that run the aisles and jump the pews and swing from these lights. This is brand new people. Brand new people that come to our churches, you know what's one of the number one reasons why they don't return? Dirty bathrooms. That is great. I mean, have you ever heard that? Dirty bathrooms. So, and, and I know when you see folks walk through the building and, and see a lady or a gentleman come out of a restroom with cleaning, cleaning utensils in their hand, you're like, ah, that can't be a ministry, but if they don't come or stay, we can't minister to them. Absolutely. If they're leaving for a dirty bathroom or if they're leaving because the greeter in the hallway didn't have a smile on her face or shake their hand or, or another ministry that's really overlooked that we need so many more of is children's ministers. Yes, sir. Nobody wants to work in a children's ministry. They're like, who wants to sit in one of the back rooms with a bunch of Mark Garnett's that's screaming and hollering and kicking and throwing toys at me and hates my guts and... Who wants to do action songs? It's the, it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You know, I, I know of a young man that, that felt like that ministry was overlooked and he wanted to do bigger and greater things. And um, my wife told this young man, said, if you don't, if you don't operate in the calling God's gift you, give you and the gift that God's give you first, he'll never excel you to other things. And um, so, 
you know, I think you need to define your calling. And, um, and there's so many ministries in the church. Um, there, there's so many, there's so many things. You young ladies, when God's calling you to the ministry, you're like, what can I do? Help your pastor's wife. Do what she wants to do and do what she doesn't want to do. Yeah. Ask her, what can I do? Right. If your pastor's wife's got young kids after service, tell your pastor, wife, don't worry about your children. After service for 20 minutes, I got them. They're good. We're going to go to the nursery. We're going to chill out. We're going to watch Teletubbies. We're going to watch VeggieTales. We're going to watch something. All right? Do, and, and let your pastor's wife shake hands without running after her children. Not only are you helping your pastor's wife, but you are ministering and bonding with her children. So there's a lot of ministries. I, I could go on. I'm taking too much time. A lot of ministries. Well, you know what this church has the least of? I think I counted 18 screens. We've got like 17 speakers in this, this room. Um, we've got five or six cameras. You know what we got the least of in the whole church? pulpits yeah we got 56 pews one pulpit i would rather a young minister adopt a pew than the pulpit because the pews need to be filled and so you know i've got i've got bishop wilson who is a great preacher i got brother austin who's a great preacher we've got eight million evangelists and pastors that come through and missionaries that come through and preach all the time and we've got a host of young ministers. It is impossible for me to get enough pulpit time for all the great young men we have. Right. But we will make time for the one that separates themselves as a Bible study teacher and soul winner. Absolutely. Because we have one pulpit and 60 pews and they need to be filled. And so the, 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 the burden of the ministry, the burden of the ministry, that, that these people are not just numbers. You know, they're not just numbers. Right. They're souls. Yes. And, and Brother Garnett said something tonight that was so, it was so awesome. I actually wrote down earlier before service this afternoon, I wrote, I wrote this line. I said, share the burden of the ministry of the church with me. Don't look at the prayer room as a requirement, but look at it as a burden. I'm going to the prayer room because I'm going to make a difference yes. in the church service. Yes, yes, the the yes. worship, the, the whole the whole thing. But he, he made a statement. He said when the preacher when, when visitors come in, they don't care if you got blue lights or green lights or whatever. They don't care about your screen. They don't care about any of that. But they heard that God moved here. Right. And when people come in this room, I want our church to feel the burden that we have to have a move of God because those people deserve a chance to feel what we've grown up feeling. And, uh, and that's what I, that's what I really want is amen. Whatever that was agrees. I heard a preacher one time say, amen lights, amen walls. (laughs) There it was. Um, but that burden has got to be in everything we do, in every aspect of ministry that we do. Whether it's sweeping the floors, we're sweeping it for souls. Amen. Not just because we have dirty floors, but we're doing it because we want to make a, a good impression for every soul that enters into the church. Can I say something? Else? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the era I grew up in um, was was a, a diff, little bit of a different era. Uh, there, we didn't have cell phones. You know, we didn't have internet. Um, we barely had shoes. It feels like, but but you know the. I heard. I, I watched our missionary, Brother Azar, preach the first night of General Conference about a burden. Um, I would say a lot of the people there had trouble understanding his accent when he was preaching, but they could feel what he was preaching, and I watched young people come to the altar and pray and seek God for over an hour after the missionary preached about a burden. And so what I want, I want to compliment your generation because I'm not sure my generation would have done that. Um, not, not as many. I think this generation of young people are, are some of the most real 
young people we've ever had. You all have seen the world in your phones since you were little. You can't be surprised. You can't. And, and so when I see you guys and I see you really legitimately, don't, don't take this wrong, but the, the thing I dislike most is church brats. And you know when to stand, when to sit, when to clap. You know how to play church, you know the whole thing. But, but it's just, it's, that's all it is. And, but with this generation, I can't speak for every district, but for you guys, I don't see that in you guys. I see you guys come to church hungry to see a move of God and hungry to experience God. And, and I compliment you on that. If my generation would have had more of a hold of what you got, we'd be a lot further along in what we're trying to do. Your future, man, what you guys are going to do for God is so awesome. Amen. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. The world, the, the, you were perfectly made for this generation. We're living in the most wicked, wild, crazy generation the world has ever known. And you guys, you know why you're your age now and not me? Because I'm not made for it. You guys are. You are perfectly designed for the tasks that God's given you. It's not too big for you. And all of us old people that, not, not me because I try not to put you down, but old people that put you down, just remember... God didn't trust them with 2023. He trusted you with 2023. And so that means you've got the greatest potential and promise that any generation of the church has ever had. And that's awesome. And so what you need to do is not waste it. Capitalize on it and make it happen. Okay, I'm done. How do we capitalize on it? How do we become better? How do we prepare ourselves? I guess I'm not done. Get, get busy. Get busy. Be involved. When, when, it, when, when we come, now look, I can't speak for your church, but I can, I, I can, I'm not a prophet, but I can predict what's going to happen here Sunday morning. Our people wore slap out. They've been flipping burgers and hot dogs and stuff. They're wore out. Sunday morning, I'm going to feel like a dental surgeon trying to pull teeth. And I appreciate that. I understand they're tired. But you know what you need to do when you go to your home church, wherever it is? Feel the burden. Okay, this is a worship service, and it's my job to make it go. It's not the singer's job. It's not the musician's job. It's my job to make it go. When the pastor's up there preaching, and he's tired, and he's trying his best to, to find the flow of God, just get in with him and make it happen. Feel the responsibility. This is our job to make it a revival service. And when we do that, when you all do that, it happens. Here's, here's, here's my conviction on, on something. The Bible said you have some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. They're, not everybody's 100. Some people are 30s. That's what they are. There's some people in this church, it doesn't matter what we sing or preach or who we bring in, they will not worship and pray. They're not coming to the altar unless I throw a rope around their neck and drag them. They're not coming to the altar. It doesn't matter. They've been here 40 years. I preached to them here in 1992 when I was evangelizing. They hadn't moved then and they hadn't moved since. They're not going to. There's some people in this church that they're going to worship and pray every service, no matter what. It's that group in the middle that your attitude when you show up makes all the difference in if it's a revival service or not. If you migrate towards the dead, we have a dead service. If you migrate towards the, the living, we have a living service. It's that group in the middle that makes all the difference in the world. First of all, if you're in the middle, get out of the middle. Good Lord. Get to the worship side. Be the person that your pastor knows. I don't know who else is going to worship, but she's going to worship. I don't know who else is going to help me preach, but that boy's going to help me preach. Don't be that middle group, and certainly don't be that group that we know, well, they're never going to come to the altar. If I had the boldness, I would ask for you to be honest. How, many time, when was, how long has it been since you really came to the altar, meaning business? Not just coming because everybody came to stand and look around, but I mean really mean in business. That if I don't pray, somebody might leave here without what they need. Get under the burden yes. of the ministry of the church. It's not what we do. This is what we are. 
This is this is it. I'm done. I'm not talking anymore tonight. One one of the greatest lessons I think my mother taught me um, is I was I was about 14, and uh, I grew up in church. Dad was a dad was a preacher. He was associate pastor of the church I grew up in, and uh, I was in an altar call. Altar call was going long. Great service. I was you know living the best I could at that point, and and, and felt like I was doing good, and, and I was there, and I had to go to the bathroom real bad. And so an altar call was going good. I just slipped out of the bathroom, no big deal, and you know did all that kind of stuff. And as I was walking out of the bathroom, I walked out, and my mom was standing right there. I said, "Well, that's odd. You know, I was just good service, great. God was good. I was I was living right. That you know sermon wasn't preaching to me." She said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I go to the bathroom." She said, "It's altar call." I said, well, I, she said, "It doesn't matter." She said, "You you go and you pray in the altar." I said, "Well, I, I prayed. I was good." She said, "Everybody else was still praying." She said, you find somebody else to pray for. You worship. You, you set the atmosphere. And I'm, I'm, I haven't walked out of altar call since. I'll be honest with you. I was scared to death. But it was the lesson she taught me is that, is, 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 is that, 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 I, that I could help set an atmosphere with what I did. I thought I was insignificant and God had talked to me and it was good. You know, done, you know, he, he wasn't speaking to me that day. But um, number one, he probably was and I was too dumb to listen. But that... that me at 14 years old, didn't think I was anything, knew one day God was going to use me. And she was saying, God was trying to use me that day, right then. And I was walking out to use the bathroom because of it. And God wanted me to help set an atmosphere, maybe be an example for somebody else, just worship so that somebody else that needs something isn't sitting there being the only person praying by themselves. There should never be a moment in our church services that somebody in your youth group walks down to the altar by themselves. Why? Because I'm going to the altar either to get what I need or to help somebody else get what they need. We got to have that attitude. It's too important. There's people that that might be their last service and it might not be for you, but you better be there helping everybody else. Uh, I, I guess one thing that you guys always need to keep a shield up against is uh, don't start comparing your ministry to somebody else's um, because your ministry is unique in itself. God called you and placed you there. And the things that, that, you, think, that you may seem to, you know, God's called me to do this. And this is, I mean, nobody's going to miss it if, if I quit doing it. I guess it was a couple of years ago. I got up on a Sunday morning. And I was preaching, and, um, and, and about midway through the sermon, I reached under the pulpit to grab the bottle of water. And when I reached under there, I, couldn't, I didn't feel it. I was like, the water's not there. <laughs> they didn't bother anybody else in the building but me because I wanted to drink the water. I was there. And then after service, I found out that the, the gentleman that had done it for years was out of town on vacation. Nobody else in that whole auditorium did it affect but me. It was, and he took it on as his ministry. He wanted to make sure the pastor had a bottle of water. Now, that seems insignificant, but you may just be given a, a bottle of water, making sure it's at the pulpit every service for your pastor. Don't start, don't start comparing your ministry to someone else. You may not be Pastor V. Me and him are best of friends. And, I mean, he, he is the man, bottom line. Jerk will get on an airplane and fly to Timbuktu, Papua New Guinea, and and he'll just he'll go minister through the jungles and shoot arrows at the <laughs> tribes and and I mean he's so kind to invite me. You want to go? And I'm like, no. I mean, if I get off the plane in Papua New Guinea, they say there still is cannibalism over there in some areas. I mean, they look at me and say buffet. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's, he just, he just does that. You know, I, I'd rather just be home, you know, ministering to the congregation, teaching Bible studies, hanging out with the young folks, the, the children, you know, helping my wife with the children's ministry. And so you don't, you don't compare your ministry. Uh, my ministry is, is what it is. It doesn't make his ministry any less of what it is. His ministry is what it is. It doesn't make mine any less than what it is. If you never sing solo in the choir, it's okay. It's all, it's all. God hears your voice. And somebody in the congregation sees your worship. And you don't have to have a microphone with it turned up real loud 
for, some, for you to affect somebody looking at you on the pew. They can see your excitement of worship in that choir. So if I would give you some advice, don't, don't ever get, don't put up a shield against that attitude of their, their ministry is greater than mine. This ministry is lesser than mine. We are all in this together. And the whole reason we're all doing what we're doing is for one reason. It's for that soul to walk down this aisle and give their life to Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason for it all. Amen. Amen. Um, does anybody feel that burden in the room right now? Does anybody feel that burden for ministry, burden for souls? Uh, I, I believe God is about to lay that afresh on some people right now. If you'll listen to what's been spoken in this house, and we're about to move on to another segment, but for a minute, why don't you lift your hands? Why don't you lift your hands and let that burden just, just fall on you. Receive it right now. Ask the Lord to put it on you. If you don't feel it, ask him to let you feel it because we need that burden right now. Come on. All over the room, lift your hands and ask the Lord to put the burden of the ministry upon you, the burden for souls upon you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, baptize us, God, with a fresh burden for souls, with a fresh burden for true apostolic ministry, oh God, whether it's preaching or whether it's serving tables, God. God, put the burden upon us afresh right now. In the name of Jesus, let the anointing fall fresh on us. Put a mantle of prayer upon us. Put a mantle of servitude upon us, servanthood. In the name of Jesus, put it on us, O oh God, that we may do the work of the ministry you've called us to. God, give us clarity, O oh God. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom and revelation in what you are calling us to do, O oh God. Right now, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, let it fall on us, God. Let it follow us everywhere we go. Let it follow us as we're in Walmart and we see all the souls that are on their way to hell. Let it follow us as we're going down the road and we see all the souls that might not make it to heaven. God, let it follow us. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus. Let it fall on us, God. Let it fall on us. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, don't, don't let the shyness of, of our attitude, the, the timidity of our spirit hold us back from fulfilling the calling of that burden that is upon us. From, from God, God, I pray that the burden of the Lord will be stronger than any insecurity, than any doubt, than any fear. God, let the burden surpass that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray that. You, you did it for me, God. I pray you do it for everyone in this room room God in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus thank you Lord thank you Lord Holy Ghost is here right now it's not on accident it's not just an interruption it's the will of God God's calling you to do some things and one one of the main things you need to focus on when you go back to the church you're heading back to is make a difference. Make a difference. Whatever you've got to do to make a difference. You see something not going right. You see something slacking. You see a ministry not, not being there and it needs to be there. You go make that difference. You be the one that starts that thing. You be the one that starts the fire. You're not having powerful prayer meetings. You go be the one that steps up with boldness. When nobody else is praying loud, everybody else is whispering the prayers, their, their daily prayers that they should have prayed before they got to church, their personal prayers. You know what I'm talking about. You get in there and teach them how to pray warfare prayer. You get in there and teach them how to really touch the Lord. If nobody else is doing it, you can do it. You can make a difference. You can be the spark that starts the wildfire in your church, in your community. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I, do, do any of y'all want to say anything else before we open the floor for questions? I, I do. Um, I said I wasn't going to, but 
one of the one of the great things about being Pentecostal is that God, through His Word, gives us insulation to keep our spirit right. We call it holiness, and that's a gift from God. It's not a punishment. It's not a burden. It is a gift from God to insulate us from a lost world. However, if we're not careful, it makes it awfully hard for us to love lost people. If you're not careful, you start looking at sinners as enemy. And the kids that are struggling with stuff, you look at them and you think, oh, they're just weirdos. They're, I don't even know what the words are now. I think emos or something. I don't know what you guys say. I can't, it's like a foreign language. I don't know. I can't, I don't know what you guys mean when you talk. I prayed for the gift of interpretation so I could understand what he was singing up there tonight. I couldn't read the screen fast enough. But those kids are that way because they need God. And if you've got God, you can't ignore them into the church. You gotta love them into the church. And I wish to God that of this room would come the greatest generation of soul lovers. Yeah. I didn't say soul winners because we're not trying to get scoreboard. Yeah. But love those people that are hurting. Yes. Love those people that they go home to broken families and broken situations and, and all kinds of chaos. And, you know, they... I dealt with a young man recently whose dad wants nothing to do with him. And he's trying to figure out what's wrong with me. You know, what, what's, what, what did I do? What, what's, and, it's, and it's not that the boy's wrong, the boy's dad is wrong. But that boy doesn't need to be left to sit by himself or stand in the vestibule of a church for 30 minutes with nobody, everybody else so busy with their friends that they don't say, oh, wait a second, I'm gonna break away from the guys I talk to every single week, five days a week to go spend two minutes with somebody yeah. that nobody else cares about. One of the things that I, f I feel is, is that God needs to give us a tenderness in our spirit for the people that show up in our churches that are not like us. Uh, the, just, just the ability to recognize them. You know, don't. As soon as church is over, we're looking for our friends. We're looking for the people we hang out with. We want to know where we're going to eat. The first thing needs to be: I got to find those people that don't know anyone else here, and they're going to stand there unless somebody goes to them, and I'm going to be that somebody. Yes. And that's that's. So that closes the book on that. I'm not talking. We want you to talk. That's why we got you here. Brother Garnett, you want to say anything else? Uh, just to piggyback on what Brother Vasca said, it's, it's, um, it is easy to get in your own little uh, group, and some folks call them a clique. You know, preachers preach against cliques. But I got a clique, you know. I mean, just, you know, but sometimes you have to just pull away from them. And um, a lot of times the reason they're acting the way they're acting is because they feel out of place. And, um, you know, they don't understand uh, why you do what you do or they don't understand what you understand. Um, some of them didn't have the life, didn't have the life that you had. Um, some of them have triggers in their life. Some of them have been sexually molested. Some of, some of them have been introduced to drugs and alcohol when they were six and seven and eight years old and actually sit in the living room with their parents and their parents, you know, did drugs with them, and 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 the list goes on and on and on of things that happen, and and um, you know, you've been delivered from that, you've been set free from it, or you were never raised in an atmosphere like that, so you really can't. Many of us understand what's going on, and um, just to have a friend, just to have a friend, it goes back to ministry. You know, take five dollars. I don't know where you guys go around here. Dollar General and get a soda. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not being uh, sarcastic. I'm just saying, I mean, New Albany, uh, McDonald's, or get a, get a, what's that thing we bought today? Or Oreo, Oreo frappe. frappe. Take them somewhere and sit down with them and buy them a ha- cheeseburger or something. You say, well, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, my friends don't want to hang with them. Well, you hang with them. Tell your friends you catch up with them next week. Because that's the only way you're going to reach them. And you have to get to the point spiritually that you can fellowship to a certain point with sinners and not be slipping back into the same thing the sinner is walked in here with. We, you are that generation that can do that. There's a lot of people that struggle with it. Um, I have a lawyer friend back home. He's a good friend of mine. And he'll ask me to go play golf with him. I don't play golf. My golfer, I hit the ball, it ends up in the woods. He buys the balls. He's rich. I mean, when you're working for $650 an hour, you can do about what you want to. And, and, and when it comes time to drink something, he'll, he'll pull out something that he wants to drink, and then he'll say, hey, you want your water or Diet Coke? I said, that'd be good. Just because I'm with people like that doesn't mean I have to drink what they drink. Doesn't mean I have to attach my vocabulary to the words that slip out of their mouth. And what I'm doing is I'm loving them and I'm reaching them. And one day, one day, we'll baptize him. And he'll receive the Holy Ghost. Because I've got that much confidence in my God and in the Holy Ghost that I got that I don't have to slip back just because I spent a little time with a sinner. Amen. All right, we're going to open the floor up for a few questions. Make it really good questions. But is there... Anybody in here that would like to ask these men of God a uh, question today? You don't have to be shy. Well, I guess I'll start. Right? How do you, so how, what you're saying is how do you not engage in their conversation? Yeah. Well, well, you know, you, you got two ways you can do it. You can look at them and say, hey, I don't want to hear that kind of language. And you can kind of blow them off and then you kind of turn them away from you. Um, I like what a bishop told me about 30 years ago when I was young. He said, just because you're a child of God or just because you're in a ministry position doesn't mean that the people are automatically going to respect you. He said, because respect is earned. So over a period of time, would you just stand in your ground without opening your mouth? Some of the greatest witnesses are people that just don't run their mouth. I mean, just, you just, just don't engage with the conversation. Just... Just continue to work or move in another area and don't laugh at their dirty jokes. And eventually they realize, hey, this guy ain't going to break. I mean, he's really got something. And they're going to start respecting you. And eventually you'll hear them say, hey, don't use that kind of language around him. He just, he's a, he's a, he's an apostolic young man. He don't, he don't want to be engaged in that. So my, my thing to answer that question is just stand your ground. You can stand your ground without saying a word. And eventually you'll earn the respect of those those other men that are around. It's good. It's very good. Very good. good. All right, who's next? Eli, stand up, speak loud.
I think sometimes we overcomplicate living for God. You know, we, we try to get revelation on everything. And I got, here's a revelation for you. Everything's not a revelation. You want a deeper revelation? Don't over-spiritualize everything. You know, sometimes the will of God is just for you to do what's right in front of you. You know, I got a car. I drive at night. Sometimes I have to drive a long way at night. I can't drive 15 miles in one second. My headlights only shine 500 feet. So the only way I can get there is go a step at a, a foot at a time. Because you, out, you, out, you drive faster than your headlights shine, you're going to die. And so instead of trying to figure out what you're going to do 30 years from now, try to master 30 seconds from now and 30 minutes from now and 30 days from now. And you do that long enough, you will have mastered 30 years from now. And so one of the big things I think with this generation of young people, you guys put so much pressure on yourself. I mean, you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, and you're miserable all the time because you're so stressed out about five years from now. It's not a sin to have fun. Yeah. It's not a sin to relax. Right. It's not a sin to just be a happy, Holy Ghost-filled young person. And, and don't try to always figure everything out at one time. It'll unfold. If you'll live holy and you'll be faithful, you pray and you serve in your church, I promise you God will take care of your future. I promise you that. But if you try to force stuff and you try to push, you're going to frustrate yourself. And so sometimes you just got to chill. I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. Okay, he's, I see a thumbs up. But, but some of it, just, just chill out, okay? Have fun. Pray, study, be faithful, live holy. You know, that stuff's not hard to do. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. If a man be a wayfarer, he shouldn't err in this way. So that, that verse means even if you don't know how to walk in a path, you can walk this path. And so, so just kind of chill, okay? Is that, we're, we're normal people. Yeah. 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 I'm probably serve, more normal we, than you. Yeah. <laughs> But we serve serve an extraordinary God. Yeah. So um, go play golf. Yeah. Play basketball and volleyball. Go flounder gigging. <laughs> go catch frogs and eat frog legs. and yeah. Go rabbit hunting. Shoot a deer out of a stand. Go shopping. Buy some cool shoes. Smile. Laugh. Yeah. We're supposed to have the Holy Ghost, which is the joy of the Lord, I mean. Right. You ever seen somebody so super spiritual they never smiled? I prayed 26 hours yesterday. No, you didn't. You lied. Yeah, two hours You lied. I knew a gentleman one time that um, he was, he's a few years older than I am, but when we were younger, he, he would, he would, he, they'd bring his food to him and he'd take a fort and, 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 and like pick up some mashed potatoes and he'd go. And then he'd go to reach for his drink and he'd go. He prayed for every sip and every mouthful. And finally, one day I said, you got to quit it. You're a kid. You have prayed enough. You should never have to pray over a meal again the rest of your life. You're killing me. And um, so just, you know, we are normal people. Let's don't, act, let's don't get so far out. Ooh, I see angels. Where? You know, angel dust is falling in here. We're going to sweep it up at the church. I mean, just, you know. I don't put so much pressure on yourself. Uh, it's a joy to reach people. Right, yeah. And it's a joy and it's a good life living for the Lord. Amen. Amen. When, when my, my pastor tells a story a lot, Pastor Corey Porterfield, when he first um, really sold out, raised in church, but, but he, he really prayed through, he was about 21, um, and he got on fire. And was listening to preaching all the time, and was um, you know he was gonna he he didn't know if he was called at that point, but he just he loved God and he was he was ready. And when he first started in ministry, he went and found his dad at their barn. Um, my wife has never lived a day in her life without a horse in the barn, 
And he went to him. He said, Dad, why don't we just sell all of this? He said, we need to sell all these horses, give all the money away. Forget that we spend too much time in this barn. We're, you know, you're, you're here you know, a little bit of time every single day. He said, we just we got to get rid of it. He said, we, got, we need to spend more time in that church. And Bishop looked at him and said, son, if it wasn't for this barn, I wouldn't have that church. He said, if I didn't have something to do, just, you know, you can't spend all your time at the barn. He said, but I if I didn't have something to do to get my mind off of stuff every once in a while, he said, I'd go crazy. And so we got to have just, just find something you like to do. And then also, you know, we love team rope, and it's one of our favorite things to do. It's been one of the most effective ways that we have ministered to people um, in, in, in my life that I found at that church. We did not start team roping as a ministry. But we meet people that we never would have met outside of the team roping pen that are now coming to our church, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because we found something we love to do, and then, and then we just loved people while we did it. So have a good time. Have fun. Amen. Amen. All right, we got five more minutes. Go ahead, buddy. first since, since you want me to I, I think you need to you set priorities as far as your time set priorities uh, what is you know uh, surely God is number one we all know that but then you still got to do your school work and even though God's number one you can't just go in and tell your teacher I'm a child of God it's going to look at you and say I don't care who, I don't care who your daddy is you're going to have to pass this grade so you know you got to do your school work and then church attendance and ministry and, and being around the sanctuary and God's house is very important. And then sporting events. You know, sporting events are important. I mean, exercise is good. Yeah. Bible says bodily exercise profited little. Can't you tell by looking at me? But, you know, but, but a lot of times people get their things out of priority. And, 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 and there's, there's, I've got friends that could have went could have went to college and really been probably went on to pros in some sporting events. Uh, my son was offered a scholarship at two different colleges for basketball. Um, but when the coaches told him that the majority of our games were on Sunday, he had to make a decision. So you, you, you have to, there'll be times in your life as you get a little older or even now that you have to make that decision. And um, so keep God first and all the rest of it will fall in line. I'll let you answer the other half of it. I thought you did good. Yeah, you know, time management is something you're going to have to deal with your whole life. And so there's, there's never going to be a time where you're not going to struggle to fit everything in. There's a great little book by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. And the book basically says everybody has the same amount of hours. I think you got 24 hours and I got 24 hours. We both got the same amount of time. We both have... 365 days a year so but you're going to have to choose there's always something in your life that's not going to get its full the full attention and so it's going to be your choice at what you're going to cheat at a certain time and so there may be a season you know if you're like you play for your christian school basketball team and you're getting ready for competition and and all your teammates man they want to go they want to win well that's not the week to give up basketball to fast, That's right. you know, yeah. fasting's great, but those boys have invested all year. You're with them. Don't fast that week. That go to practice. You know, don't don't go don't go and practice and and call it the plays in tongues. Just use English. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be all right. Um, and and so and so you know, there's seasons in your life. There's times when, when your basketball season's over, that may be the time to focus in and say, okay, I'm gonna spend some extra time now in this. But, but it's just a, a lifelong skill of time management. For me, it's getting up early. I gotta get up early before my phone starts ringing, before my wife and kids wake up. There's stuff I gotta focus on and I gotta get done before, before everyone else gets up. Well, that's me, you know? That's why I'm way past my bedtime. I'm voting for eight and a half hours uh, hour next year instead of 11th hour <laughs> um, I want to I want to say one more thing on that just because I, I'm familiar with this generation watch your phones 
Watch the time you spend on your phone. This, this can really save you some time if you will just put it down, okay? Um, you, you'll distract yourself just so you don't have to think about the important things. You get on social media, YouTube, whatever, and distract yourself from the things that are most important. Um, one practice I try to keep is uh, making sure I take care of all the most important things before I do anything like social media or uh, watching YouTube or whatever it may be. Just make sure you manage your time here and that'll affect your whole day. And if your whole day is affected, your week, then your month, then your year, you'll notice a major difference over time. All right, last question, last question. All right, we got two hands up. Who's gonna, who's, who, who has the best question? <laughs> it's easy in ministry to, to see you know, you get a hot shot evangelist that comes in and everybody, you know, everybody wants to be him. Everybody wants to dress like him and talk like him. And, and it's easy to fall into that trap of, of wanting to, to get that. Um, and so you got to guard against that because that's pride focused. That's not ministry focused. Um, you know, back in the day, I don't know how it is now, but back in the day, all the young girls want to date a single evangelist. And so that could definitely be an ulterior motive. Um, I don't know if it's that way now or not. I don't have a clue. But, but, but if you're praying and seeking God and keep your spirit right, um, then, then your motives will be right. You had a question. Go ahead. First of all, don't compromise what you believe. Just keep living like you like you live. Um, be their friend. When they have a question, answer it. If they have a problem, pray for them. God will open a door yeah. where they're going to want what you got. Right. Absolutely. So, and and God will work that out. You just be you, and and God will love them through you. Absolutely. That's true. I shared this with you. With Bethlehem's pastor, um, and she brought it up. Your question kind of goes with it. How do people start attending our churches? Advertise. How many of our churches in here advertise? Church cards. I mean, all kind of stuff. Signs outside. Facebook. I mean, you got a media guy always posting stuff. You know how many people come to our church because we advertise? Two percent. Invited by the pastor. You know how many folks walk through our doors? This is a national statistic. 6% organized visitation. We get into church vans or get in our cars. We go out and knock doors or go to the park with bottled water when it's hot. After doing all that, 6% of people attend our churches. A friend invited me. 86% of wow. people come to our churches because... You invited your friend. That's really good. So just my my answer to your question is just keep living it and keep inviting them. Yeah. Don't stop inviting them. Every week, hey, you guys want to go to church with me? One week they're going to come. And when they come, they're not going to leave. Hey, man, this is awesome stuff, isn't it? We started three minutes late, and it's three minutes after. There it is. So that exactly. Was a cold hour. Hour. But can I read one quote? Sure, go ahead. There's an Australian church consultant. His name is Steve Smith. Here's what he said. The definition of success is finding out what is on Jesus' heart and then doing it when and how he says to. That's a, that's a good definition, isn't it? good definition. Yes. Amen. Amen. Did y'all enjoy it tonight? Awesome.